the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Welcome back as we head into hour two on the first day of February. Man, January went fast, didn't it? And as we do in the second hour of our show every Monday, we check in with Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, critical reading, particularly on foreign policy, but he does some domestic work as well. Brandon, welcome back and happy Monday. Hello, and uh, thanks for having me. My producer informs me that you spent eight hours on your next book today. Do you want to tell the audience what you were working on or what you're working on a little bit? Well, it pertains to what we're planning on talking Good. about today, uh, Iran, the Middle East in general, and uh, sort of deep diving what exactly our role in the Middle East is and what it probably should be. Oh, good. Good. That's actually a great great entree, then, to what I wanted to start with you on. It is. Good. On it Iran. I, like I planned it. Yeah, it, almost, <laughs> right? Almost. What, do, you, do you have a book title yet? Uh, you, you know, like I said before, my publisher hates the title, but I was thinking Mending the Middle East, but um, we're probably going to drop it. No, so, mending was he, that the word? Was, mending, like fixing, mending. Yeah, he's not dynamic enough. Yeah, I get it. Think, I so see well. it. I like the. Yeah. I like the. I like the thought behind it, but I understand the publisher's yeah. uh, preferences yeah. on something like that. Yeah. 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 The only thing that would be worse problem. would be like mitigating the Middle East or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. Pacifying yeah. the Middle it's East. A work in progress. All these great <laughs> words that just aren't. Um, don't have Not enough cowbell in them. them. Yeah, right. 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 So, so it'll end up being uh, Middle East apocalypse, right, with an exclamation point in red with, you know, dripping daggers. We're all going to die. Yeah, 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 yeah. But mark this down. That's what it'll end up being, Middle East apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Over the weekend, Brandon, um, the new Secretary of State, Secretary Blinken, warned that um, – Tehran was months away, I'm quoting from NBC here, months away from being able to produce enough fissile material for a nuclear weapon, saying it could only be a matter of weeks if Iran continues to lift restraints on itself. He then went on to say uh, the U.S. is willing to return to compliance with the 2015 nuclear deal if Iran does and then work with U.S. allies and partners. Now, what was curious to me about that, and I'll let you speak to any aspect of this you want, but what was interesting to me about that is Iran is supposedly, um, according to our Secretary of State, possibly weeks away, right, to have enough material right. for a nuclear weapon. Now, the um, Biden administration didn't memory hole the Obama administration's White House archives like they did Donald Trump's White House archives. So you can't get the 1776 Commission report now at the White House right. as you used to be able to. But you can still right. get Obama White House press releases. And uh, funny that. And I'm looking at one. Isn't it petty? Yeah, well, petty, but, you know, useful for today because yeah. there is a, um, a White House, Obama White House statement, the historic deal. This is, uh, of course, uh, back from uh, 2015. The historic deal that will prevent Iran from acquiring 
a nuclear weapon. And it says uh, because of this deal, it would take at least 12 months for Iran to be able to do this. Blinken's now telling us it could take weeks. Right. This whole thing was a farce, wasn't it, from the get-go? Well, it certainly was. But Blinken and Biden are going to say that uh, the reason they're so close in Iran to getting the bomb is because we pulled out of that hallowed and sacrosanct deal that the sainted Barack Obama negotiated. Um, Isn't it fair to say Europe never pulled out? uh, Yes, that's that's very true. In fact, we know that the Europeans were doing all kinds of business with Iran, including, I'm sure, giving them the technology they needed to build out nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And we know that the North Koreans have been intimately involved with the Iran program since the 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact fact is that you're only going to be able to delay a dedicated power uh, that's seeking nuclear weapons for so long. Uh, Even the best sanctions are only going to delay, delay, delay. Um, so regardless of whether the Biden administration is correct and the reason that we they're, they're so close to this is because uh, uh, the, the Trump pulled out of the deal, I don't think they're correct. But regardless, the fact is Iran was coming to this point at some point in the next few years. And we the fact is we weren't ready. Nobody was prepared for this. And it's you know, this is what my friend uh, Michelle Walker refers to as a gray rhino event. This is an event that we can see down the line, but we make no preparation for whatsoever. Oh, I like I that that's phrase. Yeah, that's here. a good phrase. Yeah, and Frank Hoffman refers to it as the Pink Flamingo event. But in any way you look at it, uh, you know, th- this is something that they should have had plans on the books for whoever was president. And our defense establishment just kind of shrugged and said, ah, we'll deal with it when it comes. Well, here it is. And the fact is, there is no deal that can be made that will stop Iran from getting the bomb. None. All that we can do is impose our will on Iran through now sticks. And the only carrots we can use are ancillary, and that is in the form of building out a believable uh, uh, alliance of the Sunni Arab states and Israel. And if we are lucky, maybe Turkey, though I'm not, I'm not sanguine about that. But the fact is, is that the Trump administration was doing that. And it looks like now the Biden administration is keen on dismantling that. I'm referring to the Abraham Accords that Jared Kushner and Mike Pompeo so successfully negotiated toward the end of the Trump administration. And it looks like now uh, the Biden team wants to, at the very least, blunt some of those, uh, some of that agreement by recognizing the Palestinian right supposedly to, is- to wipe out Israel from the from the face of the earth. Uh, you know, now with this potential Iran nuclear deal. All that's going to do is send a signal to the Sunni Arab states that Israel's out, America's running, and Iran is the new big dog, and we better do a deal with Iran or we're going to get crushed. Or at the very least, we better get nukes, which have been on hold uh, in Pakistan for about 10 years now. I mean, you know, people don't remember this, but in 2009, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia's government, actually purchased on back order 19 nuclear devices from Pakistan. And it took the CIA under Obama to intervene, saying, you better not transfer Pakistan those nukes to Saudi Arabia until we tell you to. Well, guess what? Saudi Arabia is not going to wait anymore, especially if we do the nuke deal. Then there's also the issue that Blinken is the biggest proponent of basically America invading Syria. And this is where it's headed. And so this is like the worst possible 
Middle East strategy. It's repeating all the mistakes of the Obama and George W. Bush years and, and not preserving any of the momentous gains that Trump made because orange man bad. This is going to lead to a very bleak place where you have a nuclear Iran. No deal will prevent that from happening. And then you're going to have the nuclearizing Sunni Arab states as well as nuclear Israel. And by the way, Turkey is inches away from getting nukes on their own as well. And you're in, in that part of the world, I wrote an article three years ago at the American Spectator about how much of a mistake it would be to let Saudi Arabia get nukes because it would create this chain reaction of everyone in the region trying to get nukes. And inevitably, those nukes would fall into the hands of jihadi terror groups, which would be used on us, the Israelis, uh, Western Europe. It's not, a good, it's not a good thing right now. And, um, you know, the Biden administration appears intent on basically letting it happen. Isn't it odd, though, that there seems to be um, a foreign policy with this group that's based on ideas fix rather than learning the lessons of history even in the recent past? I mean, why would you not want to take uh, take the, uh, the, 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 the recent pacification of the Arab-Israeli conflict, if we want to call it that? and build on that and take credit for it rather than reverse it and create a nuclear arms race uh, with, a, with, with a nation like Iran that has proven itself to be not only masters of terror but obviously not, 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 uh, not, not trustworthy when it comes to these kinds of negotiations. Is it, is, is it what I just said? Is it an idea fix or, or what? I, I, this, you I remember the, I remember for years, you remember this in your studies too, for years people thought you could do business with the Assads of Syria. And yeah. there was this weird fascination about being able to strike negotiations with Damascus. I think it never panned out. And, uh, and it seems like there's this weird fascination that we can do something with Tehran when it has never yeah. panned out. I, big question, music coming on meaning a break. Can we pick that up on the other side? Yes. Yes, and I will enjoy your music. Okay, thank you, Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, and author, of course, of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. We'll be right back. Happy to take your calls, too. To the Seth Leibson Show, our guest, Brandon Weikert, uh, publisher of the Weikert Report, critical reading, uh, theweikertreport.com author of uh, one of the more important books, uh, one of the most important books of last year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Right before the break, I was asking Brandon, why when, you know, you're accountable politically, you're, of course, accountable in other ways, too, uh, a foreign policy uh, establishment would want to um, recreate all the mistakes that have borne out to be mistakes and turn away, refuse, and condemn successes that you could build on that have proven to be successes, even though they may have come from a previous administration. Let me illustrate it with this piece of audio, if I might, Brandon, because this was John Kerry as Secretary of State, and, of course, he's now a special envoy to the Biden administration. Listen to this audio of John Kerry, please. There will be no separate peace between Israel and the Arab world. I want to make that very clear to all of you. I've heard 
several prominent politicians in Israel sometimes saying, well, the Arab world's in a different place now. We just have to reach out to them and we can work some things with the Arab world and we'll deal with the Palestinians. No, 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 and no. He's just right. He was just he was made a fool as he has been several times. So they bring him back in. No doubt, you know, he ran point on the last Iran deal. No doubt he'll be consulting yep. on this one, even though it's it's uh, it's probably Blinken's ultimate responsibility. I mean, Brandon, why do you keep doing not you? Why do why why did <laughs> why do, why do some in the establishment keep recreating things that were massive failures and embarrassments? Well, well, when you run and exist in a, uh, a monopoly, which the government is, a closed system that is opaque, which the government is, uh, when you are a patrician elite, the way that John Kerry is and many of his cohort, both in the Obama and now Biden administration are, um, you fail upwards and you don't recognize innovative ideas like the Abraham Accords because... Orange Man is bad, and he wasn't part of the club, and he liked gold a little too much, and he was a little too rude on Twitter. And so we don't want to we don't want to uh, bring anything into the fray that might ultimately lead to that person getting credit. Another thing is the theory. These people are all well steeped in IR international relations theory, as taught by hardcore leftists at our top tier universities. Uh, you know, so the idea of linkage, that is, there is no Middle East peace without linking the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to the wider search for peace in the region. It's, it's something that goes back to the 1970s. It's a flawed assumption, and yet it is beloved by our foreign policy elite, of which John Kerry and his friends in the Biden team are a part of. This also goes back to a Stephen Walt, Stephen M. Walt article in Foreign Affairs in 2010, if memory serves, it was 2010. And uh, it was basically sort of the ideological uh, or intellectual blueprint for the Iran nuclear agreement. And basically the argument in that was they were basing the theory of dealing with Iran by creating this joint comprehensive plan of action that would basically legalize uh, Iran's nuclear program and bring them back into the wider Middle East as a, a supposedly acceptable player. Um, the idea was based on the old world theory of deterrence and, how, and detente and how we handled the Soviet Union. Of course, that in and of itself was a bad idea when we did it with the Soviets because they just cheated on every agreement we made with them. But setting that aside, um, Iran is not the same as the Soviet Union. The Soviets were ultimately beholden to an ideology that was earthbound. The Islamists who run Iran are not beholden to a belief system that is earthbound. It is, it is a uh, kind of apocalyptic in its worldview. And there's always that danger that some people in the elites of Iran will simply use nukes to uh, accomplish their, their view that Armageddon is good and that they have to wipe out all the unbelievers around them to free the body from his well. And so you're dealing with a very different player and the kind of player who is not rational, who is not stable. But the Obama and now Biden people, they don't incorporate religion or really any kind of ideology outside of their own into their grand strategic uh, assessment. So to them, Iran's just another player, uh, no different than Poland or Britain. And if you treat them the same way as you would Poland or Britain, they will behave as Poland and Britain if given the opportunity. 
And it's this very academic, theoretical, um, two-dimensional, frankly, international relations theory that I think if we let it play out in the real world, we'll blow up in our faces quite literally. And I think the time or the timer has been set on that bomb. And I think that in the next few months, you're going to have a very serious crisis between us and Iran because the Iranians think that Biden is weak and that he can put they can be pushed around in the Biden team and they know what they, to expect from him. And I think that it's a very scary time if you're in Israel uh, or if you're even in the Sunni Arab states, because America is not going to have their backs over there. It's going to get very ugly, I think, very soon. Is, is it part is part and parcel of it? Uh, not maybe not a big part of it, but a, a part of it. The thinking that people like Hassan Rouhani are, quote unquote, moderates you can do business with as opposed to Mahmoud Ahmadinejad types is part. Yes. Is that part of yes, it, too? It, yes, it, it's a large part of it. They've created in their minds are the, the, the Democratic foreign policy elite. They have created in their minds these divisions that really do not exist except on paper. Ultimately, Hassan Rouhani was uh, one of the top ministers when we took the when the uh, Iranian students took over the embassy in '79. I write about this in my forthcoming book. Hassan Rouhani, while he did not storm the embassy, he was very much in favor of it, and he only stopped being in favor of it, of it for the moment when he thought the Americans were actually going to militarily strike out against Iran for taking the embassy. And when he realized that Carter wasn't going to do it, he was suddenly okay with it again. So this idea that Hassan Rouhani, who in 1995, and I write about this in my first book, Winning Space, where Hassan Rouhani, he used to talk about the beautiful cry of death to America. Right. And that's, that's the moderate. This, is, this guy is a nut job, and so is Khamenei, or Khamenei the current uh, Grand Ayatollah of Iran, who was a student of Khamenei, the founder of the Iranian regime. There's no daylight between the two of them. And, and we're dealing with a bunch of crazies that if we try to normalize and integrate into the wider world system, it will be as deadly, if not worse, as when we try to integrate China into the system. Good, good. I want to segue to China. Um, we're going to head into yeah. a break, but I had one more question for you on Iran, and maybe you can answer it on the uh, after the break. And then I wanted to segue into China, especially the story, uh, the stories coming about uh, coming about regarding its closing of the nuclear gap. Um, and, and Russia. But but what I want to ask you about Iran, one more question on the other side of this break is, is the nuclear threat to be the most worried about or is it still their sponsorship of terrorism? And maybe it's not either or. But let me ask you about that when we come back and then um, we'll switch over to China if we can. That OK, Brandon? Yeah, that's fine. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert. The Weikert Report. He spells it W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, WeikertReport.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Our guest, as he is every uh, Monday, is Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report. We're talking about Iran. We're going to move to China in a moment. Uh, Brandon, uh, for some years there was a division in the in the uh, uh, community of people who analyzed Iran saying the nuclear threat was the bigger threat, the terrorism threat was the bigger threat. Uh, both bad, obviously, one on a massive scale, one on a, on a less massive scale, uh, but lethal and uh, hugely de- destabilizing. Do you have an opinion on that as to which one is the more urgent at this point? Yes, I think the more urgent one is the long-range precision-guided missile threat that no one's talking about, 
Um, we know that uh, the Iranians have been building out this capability in Lebanon under the guise of Hezbollah. Uh, and um, we know that Hezbollah has been trying to hide uh, massive stores of ammonium nitrate in Haifa and other uh, targets in Israel that can be reached with those um, uh, long-range precision-guided munitions, the logic being they won't build a nuke and it's hard to transfer the nuke over to a target. So instead, they'll be build uh, an explosive explosion that's very similar to a low-yield nuclear weapon, like this case in, uh, in Haifa, potentially, uh, and they'll blow up the ammonium nitrate they've hidden in the port there, uh, with these precision-guided munitions that they've been building in, in uh, Lebanon. One of the... Th- the immediate threat. Okay, fair enough, and, and, and not a small one, obviously. Uh, no. W- one of the things I want to reiterate to the audience, uh, because I think there's going to be a lot of diplomacy and diplomatic nice talk, kind talk, over the next several months uh, in, in our mutual State Department and Foreign Ministry of Iran circles... I want to quote to you something about Iran from not any kind of paranoical conservative organization, but Amnesty International. May I? May, can I just take a minute? Yeah, please. This is Amnesty International on Iran. The authorities heavily suppress the rights to freedom of expression, association, and assembly. Security forces use lethal force unlawfully to crush protests, killing hundreds and arbitrarily detaining thousands of protesters. The authorities arbitrarily detained over 200 human rights defenders and imposed sentences of imprisonment and flogging against many of them. A new law allowed Iranian women married to men with foreign nationality to pass on Iranian citizenship to their children, but women continue to face discrimination and the authorities intensified their crackdown against women rights defenders campaigning against forced veiling laws. Ethnic and religious minorities face entrenched discrimination, torture, and other ill treatment, including through the denial of medical care, remained widespread and systemic, committed with impunity. Cruel, inhuman, and degrading judicial punishments were carried out. Scores of people executed, sometime in public, several under the age of 18. I could go on. But that's Amnesty International. So when all this kind and fancy diplomatic talk and speak starts taking place, I just want people to remember the regime we're talking about. Right. And, of course, the crazy thing is uh, the previous administration did everything in its power to not do business with with Iran. And yet the people at Amnesty International hated Trump. And uh, the new administration is trying to do everything in its power to do business with Iran, to empower those human rights abusers. And Amnesty International can write a pithy little letter, but then they're going to turn around and support the Biden administration. It's just a very, very strange world we're living in. Great. Great. Fantastic. I mean, it's just going to be really special to watch all this good stuff undone. It really is based on yeah. based on yeah. nothing but 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 uh, petty politics and uh, and uh, international ignorance having to do especially with ideology. Uh, China is in the news again. And it's in the news today having to do – something having to do with seeking to close the nuclear gap. And I'm wondering if we can get into that on the other side of this break coming up. We'll talk yeah. a little bit about China's nuclear ambitions and, of course, space if you want as well because I know well, uh, yeah. your thesis on uh, he who controls or she who controls space 
uh, is going to uh, be able to either tamp down or expand the hostility. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weicker. He's also happy to take your calls. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Portions of this show are brought to you by Balance of Nature. They have a great deal right now with free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Their fruits and veggies are what I take. I take them every single day. It's all natural, vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness uh, using a unique cold-press process. They put them, encapsulate them into vegetarian capsules, and you get 31 different fruits and veggies, 10 servings of 31 different fruits and veggies with one daily dose. It is the most effective whole food supplement on the market. As far as I'm concerned, you get apples, aloe vera, cherry, papaya, garlic, cayenne pepper, and so much more. Go to balanceofnature.com to get your preferred order and take advantage of this great deal. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. That's balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. Delighted to have with us uh, Brandon Weikert, who is the publisher of the Weikert Report, weikertreport.com, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, Brandon, move me to China and the and the latest uh, the latest stories vis-a-vis uh, nuclear supremacy. Yes, well, uh, this has been a constant debate in the intelligence community. Uh, the bottom line is the the intelligence community does not know exactly the size and disposition of China's nuclear weapons arsenal. Uh, they have a range that they think is is there, um, but they don't know. And part of this is because the intel community, for many decades, uh, since the end of the Cold War, was in a state of denial about uh, China's capabilities and therefore their intentions. Uh, and China has developed, as we've all heard, this unconventional asymmetrical style of warfare where they don't want to let on what exactly their capabilities and intentions are. Um, that's why they're a smart group of people. Only we do that. Uh, where we let the world know our innermost secrets uh, without right. even ever being asked. Right. Um, but basically, there, 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 there is a concern, particularly in the intermediate uh, nuclear range uh, forces, so that's the kind of the medium, smaller nukes, uh, that you would need to, say, attack an incoming invasion fleet or to repel uh, an American aircraft carrier. We don't uh, think we have a strategic advantage in that particular realm of nuclear weapons anymore. Uh, and that's mainly because only we and the Russians were beholden to the intermediate-range uh, nuclear forces agreement signed between Gorbachev and Reagan in the 80s. China never signed on to it. And for about 30, 40 years now, they've been quietly building up that capacity until 2018 when the Trump administration said, hold on a moment, China has been ramping up this capability, and we don't know how many weapons that they actually have. And theirs are all modernized, whereas ours are limited and not uh, not modern. And so uh, that's a key strategic gap. And another issue is the ICBM, the big nuclear missiles, the Chinese hide them in an extensive network of tunnels that they call the Great Underground Wall. 
The intelligence community has debated whether it exists or not for years. I think it does. And we know that they move them around underground because our satellites can't keep track of them. Uh, they're mobile and they're underground and they pop up at random. So we don't know if it's the same missile we're tracking, you know, moving from Beijing to, uh, you know, northern China or if it's a whole nother missile that they're putting out. We don't know. And so these are some of the weaknesses. And the Chinese, you know, they love it. And they, they use that strategic ambiguity to their advantage to, to really force us to stand back because we don't know if we'll be able to target those systems. We don't know what their redundancies are. We don't know how modern they are. We don't know how many they are. Wow. Okay. So um, we did a um – we, we, we did a number with China over the last four years. The Trump administration, Secretary Pompeo, I think his last act was to declare them guilty of genocide, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, with the Uyghurs. And yes. uh, which I thought was long overdue, by the way. I'm not sure where you come down on that. But yes, go ahead. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, I, you know, the administration previously, Trump administration, uh, yes, they were probably the most forceful with China since you know, Dwight Eisenhower. Um, but the problem is, first of all, uh, even they sort of stayed their hand. You know, Trump for the first few years, yes, he was doing this trade war, but he was always leaving open the hope that the Chinese would come to the table. And of course, he famously uh, claimed he got a deal from them in December 2019 after two years of very harsh trade warfare. Uh, which actually did a lot of damage that the Chinese will never admit to. But then the Chinese signed the deal, and a month later, COVID-19 is unleashed, and before you know it, uh, the whole world's economy has collapsed, except for China's economy, which somehow has managed to rebound. Maybe there's not a connection there. Maybe there is. But the fact is that the, the previous administration, as tough as it was, frankly, was not tough enough. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they waited four years to, yeah, to announce enough. the Uyghur. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, they were tough. It's too bad we didn't get a second term. Uh, you know, we might have gotten a, a harsher stance on China. But the bottom line is, is that the new administration under Biden, it's true, they do have a lot of China hawks from the Democrats, uh, you know, running their China shop. But at the end of the day, those people are more conventional foreign policy practitioners, and they're very desperately trying to return to the way we handled China pre-Trump which was even when we got tough with them, we really weren't getting tough with them. And the Chinese could predict that and they could work around that. And uh, it was called strategic patience or strategic ambiguity. And, um, you know, our policy was officially to not have a policy. Well, China loved that. They were able to, there's a lot of wiggle room for China. And we never took advantage of the wiggle room it, it afforded us. And so that's where Biden's taking us. And Biden very much wants to do a deal with China on some level because Biden's people, and I know this for a fact, Biden's people are obsessed with Russia and they're obsessed with invading Syria. So they can't take on China if they want to take on Russia and Syria right now. My worry here is one of the famous things China, excuse me, Joe Biden once said about China was, come on, man, they're not bad folks. That worries me greatly, because I think he thinks that. I think he doesn't uh, care. Okay. I think he okay. was just – I think that was just a cheap political you okay. know, stunt. Okay. You know, basically, you know, we're at a point now where uh, one 
politician, one political leader says something uh, about a given issue, at least half the country is going to be against it. Yeah, right. And so, you know, Trump was right initially to call it the China virus and to really highlight the the theory that, and it's more than a theory, uh, that uh, the COVID-19 may have come from the Wuhan lab. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, when Trump said that, at least half of the country was automatically against it. Of course, you're right. called it a conspiracy theory. You're right. And so... Uh, Biden was just doing something like that, where Trump says something and then he's representing the other half and he's, you know, going to make fun of it. But at the end of the day, I really don't think Biden cares. Okay. I think Biden. I think Biden has a very conventional Washington D.C. neoliberal view of China, which is that open borders and free trade will solve all of the underlying problems. Okay. And so he thinks that China has to be married to America for the system to be stable. And he thinks Russia's a bigger threat, and he thinks that Syria's a, uh, a leverage point to get at Russia, as is Ukraine, as is Navalny. And so Biden's going to do whatever he has to do to stick it to Russia, while at the same time stabilizing things with China. Again, Hold it right there, Brandon. i got to hit the break. Yeah. I hit the clock pretty fast yeah. real, real quick, because I want to come back on yeah. conservatism. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Our guest uh, for the past hour has been Brandon Weikert. He's always generous with his time. We check in with him on the foreign policy and domestic fronts every Monday. And, you know, going circling back to some thoughts I had earlier about the stories, the increasing number of stories about divisions in the conservative movement. I guess this is what people do sometimes. The stories, the Democrats are divided, stories, conservatives, Republicans are divided. Brandon is a... um, is a is a veteran of, of of not only Capitol Hill but several campaigns and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, po- uh, policy advising to conservatives, conservative candidates, and others. And I wanted to get his sense, Brandon, just your general sense. How divided is our movement? I I, I, I tend to think it's not as divided as some of the stories tell us, but I'd love to get your perspective. Well, as you know, before the election, I was saying that we are divided, but the Democrats are more divided. But now after the election, it seems that the Democrats remain divided, but they are unified in their hatred of us. Okay. Uh, whereas the Republican Party is not together on anything. Um, and I think that we are broken on the right, and I'm, I'm fearing that we may be hopelessly broken. You know, in the post-World War II era, the unifying principle of the right was anti-communism, specifically toward the Soviet Union. Yeah. With the loss of the Soviet Union, we, we tried to keep the group movement together with anti-terrorism, but that never had quite the same flair, and it was never as unifying. And I'm just worried that we are now going to see some dissolution of the Republican Party, uh, its unity, uh, that we're going to be permanently in this bifurcated or even you know tripolar era where you've got paleocons, neocons, libertarians, you know, these different sort of subgroups from the right that used to unify, uh, and the nationalists, and, 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 and now it's, it's it, you know, some people can't get over their own idea and their own purity of ideas, and they can't be a coalition anymore. The left is totally unified on one thing besides hating us. It's the left is unified on the belief that government will resolve all of our deepest problems. Whatever the problems they think there are, government will solve it. The Republican Party, the right, 
is a coalition movement. We have libertarians, we have, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, religious right people, we have neoconservatives. So you have this widest sundry of people, and it used to be that a leader could come along and unite them. But unfortunately, not even Donald Trump really could unite the party. Um, it, it, you know, he ended up dividing it even more in the short term. I think he could have united it had he gotten the second term. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I think for the foreseeable future, until a leader comes along like a Reagan uh, or even an Eisenhower, um, I think that we're going to be hopelessly divided and in the minority. All right. We'll pick up on that more next week, too, if you don't mind. I'd love to go, yeah, go, yeah. go more into that. Brandon Weicker, God bless you and thank you, sir. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Be good.